Hi, I'm Shannon Torrance, and this is Magic is Real. In this interview, I interview Michael J. Tamora. Besides being one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, Michael is a world-renowned spiritual teacher, clairvoyant visionary, and award-winning author of You Are the Answer, Discovering and Fulfilling Your Soul's Purpose. Michael is also a five-time near-death experiencer, and he shares the story of the first time he left his body and what happened when he got there. If you enjoy this video and want to see others like it, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much, and here's my interview with Michael Tamora. Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon Torrance. I'm a spiritual junkie and a developing psychic medium. The show is called Magic is Real, and today I have a very special guest. His name is Michael J. Tamora. Michael is a three-time near-death experiencer. He's a clairvoyant. He's a writer. He's a speaker. He's a radio show host of a show called Living the Miracle. He is also an award-winning author. He wrote a book called You Are the Answer, Discover, Discovering and Fulfilling Your Life's Purpose. I'm sure there are 20 more things I could describe you as, but um, first, I just want to say hello and thank you so much for being here, Michael. You're welcome. Glad to be here. That's uh, fun. <laughs> it is, I, I'm, having a, I'm already having fun. And I can say this because I have... Um, not met you in person before this, but one thing I do want to start by saying is that um, to the audience is that Michael lives his mission. And I know that his mission is to really help people become more soul-centered, awaken their souls, discover their souls um, purpose, and really live a joyful, loving life. And I am here to tell you that this man lives it and breathes it, um, having only it emailed with him he treats everybody like a, you know, an equal soul, the equal soul that they are. Like, like he's known you forever and I'd heard great things about him, but his warmth just shines through so much. And so this is really, really um, wonderful for me to meet you in person. Um, so Michael, I'm going to start with a bit of a vague question, but I'd love to know about you. Um, knowing all of the wonderful things that you do, what, how, how did you, find yourself um <laughs> was this, i'm sure this wasn't something you necessarily yes. as a child but how did you end up where you were today <laughs> you know i was walking around and kicked a big rock and out came me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's i have one of my best uh, all-time best psychic abilities you know what that is what is it? it's retrocognition <laughs> what is retrocognition? It's being able to see clearly what's already happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So by usually around 20 years after the after something happens, yeah. all of a sudden I'm going, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have that too. Yes. Yeah. And I think we all do. Yeah. A lot of times people think in terms of, you know, finding your soul's purpose as something separate and something different. I, I'm not there yet. I, yeah. I'd like to find it. It's somewhere out there, somewhere in the future. If I get good enough about something, then I'll, I'll discover it. And it's not because it's already, we're, we're living it. So what happens is when we go through life, we experience a lot of different things. And much later down the line, after we've been through all this experience, we start to be able to connect the dots. In retrospect, we connect the dots of, 
oh, that's why I had to do what I had to do. And so when we're going through our experiences, we generally don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, we're just living <laughs> and we're doing the best we can with the given situation where we're at. But much, much later, how come we're able to look back and connect the dots and realize, oh, yeah, that was exactly what I needed to do. And that's got me where I am today. And uh, many people I've worked with over the years uh, who've been through, you know, what's called terminal illnesses and very grave situations, and they make it through. And almost everybody I've worked with who had cancer, later on, they go, it's the best thing that ever happened. When you're going through it, it's the most horrible thing that's ever happened. Yeah. But when afterwards, because by that point, you've distilled your life experience into wisdom. So with that wisdom, we're not the same as we were when we were going through the experience. So in my case, I can say that, you know, from the time before I was born, <laughs> I, I was psychic because we all are. I'm one of those people who didn't forget it all. So after being born, it's difficult here. This is difficult for everyone. Even the Buddha said, this is difficult <laughs> being here <laughs> as a human being. Because in spirit, it's utterly simple. There's nothing to it. It's just, we are, and that's it. We have everything. It's amazing, perfect. But the minute we incarnate, we're, we're born into this baby body that basically can go like this and go, Wah. <laughs> And But just like we all experience after we're older and stuff, a lot of people say they look at themselves in the mirror and go, God, I don't feel that old. I look old, but I don't feel that old. I feel, I still feel like I'm 25, whatever. Because the inside is we're still us. It's just the body that changes. Well, when we come in, in the beginning of our incarnation, the body is a baby body. Still, I mean, just barely out of the oven <laughs> and still kind of going, okay, how, how do I maneuver this thing? And so when we come in, it's a very intense, difficult, exciting time because it takes so much of our attention just to be able to handle being in this body. That's why a lot of babies, they're just constantly looking at their hands and, oh, you know, <laughs> oh, how does this work? And it's that's our first step as these very capable, powerful spiritual beings. We still have to, every time, we still have to learn how do you operate this little equipment? <laughs> and that takes so much of our attention. Just by itself, it's difficult. But then you add in, you know, nobody's living a perfect life. <laughs> no family is, you know, wonderful and perfect all the time. And so you experience all these things that are difficult and painful sometimes, traumatic, emotionally upsetting, all that stuff goes on. And 
I don't think anyone gets by in their first few years without experiencing, God, nobody gets me. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, I'm giving a whole lecture and nobody even, you know, they come back with, Gucci, Gucci, Goo. Oh, he's probably hungry. <laughs> Feed him some more. And so, so there's this total disconnect in the communication and the ability to get along and everything right from the beginning. And we have to deal with that too. So that all piles up. And that's where so much of our awareness of who we are as spirit evaporates, <laughs> seemingly evaporates. So I'd say the great majority of people, souls, once they incarnate in their first four to seven years of life here, they shut down so much. When they first come in, everyone, when they, you first come in, it's, you're pretty wide open. Yeah. And much of your psychic abilities are totally wide open, working, everything. But within the first few years, it gets too difficult. It's too intense. You know, it's okay. <laughs> this is too bright. This is too noisy, too painful. So we start to shut down. And so by the time a person's a grown up, and aside from all that, our society is based on that how to shut down. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's called, it's a society based essentially on how do we survive here? Yeah, there's wars going on. People mm -hmm. are shooting at me, you know, yeah, we don't have enough food. What, what do we do? How do we survive? So this enormous creative power intelligence that we come in with gets diverted to survival. That's right. Many levels of survival, right? And then as we grow older, we're pretty good at surviving physically in a normal society if we're not in the middle of a war zone. And, or in the middle of Los Angeles. <laughs> so then, then we start dealing with, you know, emotional survival and psychological survival. And, and are we, am I going to be able to be the person I really want to be? Right. That type of survival, right? So for me, from early on, I'm aware like one of my earliest memories is right before I was born. I'm floating above my mother in the hospital and, and she's getting tired of carrying me around, <laughs> at least carrying my body around. And so, so she decides she's going to do, this is way back, you know, 68 years ago. Uh, she's doing her own variation on the Stairmaster exercise. <laughs> she gets this little two-step stool next to the, her bed, and she's going up and down the steps and saying to me, just going, okay, baby, time to come out. Baby, you know, it's hurry up. And mm -hmm. It's time to come out. <laughs> and, and so after, somewhat after that is when her contractions and everything started. And in that period, I'm not that aware. It's just too much energy and everything is just going. Then the next level of awareness is having been born, slam into first base or home plate, you know, <laughs> safe, <laughs> you made it. And uh, uh, then it becomes a matter of, 
oh, just like in everyday life, there's some highlights that we remember, some lowlights that we remember, but in the middle, it's like business as usual. You tend to, everything just blends in together. You know, you don't remember all the details of everything. So that's how it was for me. And then, um, and I remember now, uh, later on in life, I realized that, oh, it wasn't until I was, I think I was 19, 20 years old, I think, 19 or 20. I, well, from the time I was about 12, I knew I had to come to California. And <clears throat> I was growing up in Tokyo, Japan. And so, so uh, and I even knew which town I had to go to. Berkeley. <laughs> right. Now, how did you know? What was your, was it just a poll? Just a Yeah, random? it's just a knowing. The, the minute I heard Berkeley, California, I realized that's where I need to go. And this was when I was in early high school. I also knew that I need to get there when I was about 12. But I couldn't figure out how I can go by myself as a 12-year-old from Japan to the US <laughs> and make it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and be able to live there. I knew it had nothing to do with the rest of my family. It was just me. So it took me from 12 to 16 before I finally got all the pieces together and I can get out of Japan and get to California on my own. To do that, I had to graduate from high school and with you know, top grades, get accepted into a university in California. But that meant I had to graduate a year early from high school. Yeah. Well, because I did so well in school, all the teachers knew me, they all were okay with me graduating a year early. I would have finished all the classes anyway all my requirements were done, except you can't do two English classes in one year. You have mm -hmm. to have junior English and then you have to have senior English. Yeah. Well, so the only class, the required class for graduation that I didn't finish, I didn't have, was senior English because I was just a junior. I went to the principal and asked him, you know, I'll stay after school, take that class. I'll do summer school, whatever. Take any tests you want me to take. I need to graduate this year <laughs> in my junior year. And that was, I didn't know about karma <laughs> at that point, but I had a little karma with him. And all I can see was this was his chance to get back at me. And so he said, no, no reason, no anything, no explanation, no alternatives, just straight flat out, no. I'm not going to let, it was not, you can't do this. It was, I'm not going to let you. And I thought, Imagine that's, thank you. yeah, it was very, <laughs> and um, it was just a straight on, no way. And uh, so then I thought, okay, I got to come up with something. So I'm thinking about how can I make this work? This has been my life. It's, once I did that, all of a sudden, one morning I show up to school 
and there's a uh, announcement over the PA system. Okay, all high school students must uh, go to the assembly in the uh, auditorium. So we all go there. This guy from California, <laughs> he was the chancellor for the University of California. Uh, and he was on a tour of all the, well, I went to a Department of Defense, you know, American uh, school on a military base. So he was on tour of all the American schools in the Far East <laughs> to recruit top students to come to the University of California. So he's giving a pep talk to the whole group. And um, then I realized that toward the end of his talk, I thought, oh, I can talk to him. Maybe he has a way. So I cornered him right at the door as he's going, leaving. And I said, this is my situation. I need to get out of here. And I have great grades and everything. And I, I was, UC was one of the uh, universities that I was considering anyway. He goes, okay, let's go to the office. He asked the secretary to show my transcripts, looks at it. He goes, he reaches into the briefcase. He takes a stack of papers. He said, I have a 20 minute meeting with some of the faculty members here. Can you fill the entire application form? <laughs> Essays and all in the next 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> and I said, give it to me, I'll do whatever it takes. And so he goes away and I'm just furiously going through this whole application form. He walks out of the room and I said, here's <laughs> what I have. He takes it, puts it in the briefcase and says, you'll hear from me uh, in about two weeks. Wow. And that I did. Meant to be. Yeah. And he wrote back and says, you've been accepted to the university. Uh, blah, 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 and here's my recommendations. And then at the end of the thing, it says, all you need now is for your principal to sign off on this. Great. And he wouldn't do it. <laughs> Even after I get a... <laughs> so, so then I'm going, oh boy, you know, he's really determined to put the obstacle there. So then the next thing I did was, again, I'm thinking of, there's gotta be some way. I go home that evening when my dad comes home from work, un very uncharacteristically. He goes, are you doing anything Saturday? And, and most of my Saturdays were the busiest days of the week. Yeah. That Saturday, blank. I didn't have anything scheduled. So I said, well, not really. And he said, could you caddy for me because I'm gonna be in this major golf tournament? I said, no kidding. okay, I don't know how to do that, but I guess you just carry around the bag when, with all the sticks in them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how hard could that be? And uh, uh, so I said, sure. So I show up with him to the tournament. We get introduced to his foursome. Well, the fourth guy who got introduced was my principal's boss's 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 boss. The final authority on everything that has to do with the high schools of the Department of Defense schools in all of the Far East. <laughs> Perfect. 
Yeah. So I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I promised I, I'll caddy for you, but I have to caddy for this guy <laughs> because my life depends on it. Yeah. <laughs> my, my future depends on it. And so he goes, okay. And I caddy for this guy, 18 holes. He did most of the talking right at the beginning. I told him what my situation was. He talked for the rest of the 18 holes. And right before he sank that big, long putt, he was a very good player. Uh, he said, okay, do you have anything else? You know, I, I've told you everything I could possibly think of. And have you changed your mind or are you still committed to doing this thing? Yeah. And I said, oh, totally committed to doing this thing in spite of everything you told me. Right. <laughs> because he says, yeah, I was trying to talk you out of it because I did the same thing at 16. And I'm not sure if that was the right decision. And I told him, I said, hey, you're the top superintendent of the entire Department of Defense school system in the entire Far East for the United States. I said, you haven't done that bad. Right. <laughs> and he goes, you're right. He says, yeah. I'll talk to your principal first thing Monday morning. Oh. So when I showed up at school, there was a little note from the secretary saying, please come to the principal's office. So I go there. She has the signed letter. The principal signed it. But the principal didn't want to even deal with me at all. He left the school for the day. Oh. <laughs> so this is, this is the stuff that happens in the course of a person's life. Yeah. And it's, it's karmic. It's not because it was not just because the principal was a bad guy. No, he wasn't a bad guy at all. And, but, and I don't think he knew why he could not stand me, mm -hmm. you know, and, and why he felt like he had to make sure he was the one in charge. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like it was definitely your destiny but first you had to go through an obstacle course of challenges and tests. Yes. Yeah. How much, how driven are you and, and how resilient are you and what kinds of, um, you know, how strong are you and what, what can you really handle, which is really amazing. Exactly. But it's amazing that it showed up at all, knowing that that was what you already knew you wanted to do. And all of a sudden here comes this recruiter from yeah. California. Exactly. And at that point for, probably for the whole time from junior high on to through graduation from high school, I thought I was going to university to go to medical school and become a doctor. Once I got to California, once I got into the medical pre-med program and everything, within one and a half semester, I knew that wasn't it. Did you know what, what it was or you just knew that that was not no. it? I just knew that was not it. Yeah. And, and it took me years later to realize, oh, what I realized was why I thought I needed to be a doctor was growing up in Japan, the word for a medical doctor, a school teacher, and a spiritual master is the same word, oh. sensei. We use the same one yeah. word for all, all of those titles. And so growing up that way and the few doctors medical doctors that i knew were family physicians who 
communicated with everybody, taught everybody, you know, everything and great people. So, and the, their practice of medicine was actually much more healing than practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. So that's why I thought, okay, out of all the categories that you can choose to measure in, that seemed to be the closest to what I needed to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so now at this point you're in college or you know, in university. Um, now, I don't know when you're, when you talk about, I know that you've had three near death experiences or I've, actually five. <laughs> I've had both. I read on, I read in two different places. One said three. So yes. now were these around that time? Were they later on? Were they, be, were they oh, they're way later? Way later, okay. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if that was sort of contributed to your spiritual awakening or if they were part of your spiritual awakening, which it sounds like it was. Well, it's yes and no. It's for pretty much everyone I know and I've talked to, I've read books about who had near-death experiences. It was definitely their wake-up call. Yeah. That got them started on a spiritual path. Right. For me, it was the opposite. I've been on my spiritual path ever since I was, well, well, officially, consciously on my spiritual path from the time I was 20 years old. Right. And I've been teaching since I was 21. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> and so, so then when I had my first near-death experience, I was 40-something. Yeah, something like that, 40 something. And, and then I had the rest of the four uh, death experiences within the next 10, 11 years, right. all in now, one cluster, yeah. Now it is jumping, I know it is jumping around timeline-wise a bit, mm -hmm. but uh, so what, I'll, what, I, what we'll do is we'll start with, um, okay, so you're in college at this point and how are you moving closer at that time to your path as a healer? Ah. As a how, how are you sort of awakening? How would you describe that? Right now, it seems you've had little glimpses of psychic awareness, but weren't quite aware of it. Yes. So what, what was it that really made you aware? Well, the psychic part, I didn't connect the dots because I didn't know the word psychic. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't really know the word healer. Mm -hmm. I, I knew healing, but it was more like a medical term. Yeah. yeah. Treatment, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and it really never occurred to me. Those two concepts never occurred to me until I was 20. Mm. So during this time, uh, I only lasted in, in the pre-med for a semester and a half before I realized, okay, I got to get out of here. So I got out of that, became a, uh, a kind of a beach bum for a few months because I wanted to find out, gee, I've never been on my own uh, in that sense. Uh, then if you're on your own, you need to make money to put a roof over your head, right? So now I needed a roof over my head and everything. So I, I put myself out and I said, okay, I need a job. And I got within half an hour, I got four offers <laughs> in Southern wow. California. And so I picked the one that wasn't the most interesting, but it had the nicest place to live. It was mm -hmm. in Newport Beach, yeah. <laughs> right on the beach. I had my own beach house. 
beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And I just had to take care of this uh, little old lady who had uh, heart surgery or something and somebody needed to watch her and just be around. She didn't need anything, but mm -hmm. she needed somebody around. So that's what I did for room and board. Sounds perfect. Yep. And then I hired myself out to all kinds of neighbors and people around in that area who needed things done. Mm -hmm. So within a month, month and a half, I had enough money for a round trip flight to Japan and back to California and some money to get started on my next step, whatever that was going to be. And since I hadn't told my parents that I wasn't in college anymore, <laughs> so I thought I should go and see them and <laughs> let them know of my change of plans. So I went through all that stuff and I knew this was a time now that I didn't have to go into the whole medical level, I thought, what am I interested in? Mm -hmm. And of course, I've always been interested in art and music. And, um, but I also knew from an early age, I wasn't to become too involved in art and music. Mm -hmm. Because if I did, I wouldn't get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when you love something a lot, it's just like you're in it, you know? Yeah. So, but I thought, well, it wouldn't hurt to study a little bit of it and, you know, try out an art school. So I went to the East Coast since I've never been to the East Coast. I applied from Japan <laughs> and got accepted at an art institute in the East, in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. And so I went there and turned out to be a graphics art uh, institute. And after the first showing of artwork that I did in that program, uh, my art advisor took me aside and said, you know, you're really a good artist. You don't belong here. <laughs> she said, go down the street to Carnegie Mellon and you need to be in fine arts, not in commercial art. Oh. I said, okay. So I checked out the college but and it was great but I thought no there's something else I just still couldn't get the medical part out of my head so I hitched I got across the country back to California and I'm going how can I get an experience of being in the medical profession without going through eight years of school to become a doctor and then finding out that's not where I belong yeah I, I needed something more tangible right and more immediate mm -hmm. well at that time, they just started a whole type of training for nurses uh, now called licensed vocational nursing. The training was intensively, uh, it was for me six days a week, hands-on in the hospital. And you get the lectures, all that stuff, as well as the doing part in the hospital. And you get sent to all kinds of different hospitals, different departments. I thought, oh, and it's only a year. I said, a year I can dedicate to finding out whether this is really not the way to go. Yeah. So I signed up for that. And, and, and it was the beginning of the era where they had male nurses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so it was, it was hilarious because 
I get to experience what women have to go through a lot in different jobs and situations where I show up to work and they, the first question is, are you a male nurse? (laughs) (laughs) So I had a great time. It was absolutely fun. Uh, But what I saw was, oh, nursing was great, but I didn't like what the doctors had to go through and what they had to do and what they're doing. It, it just didn't seem right. You know, a lot of it didn't seem right, especially yeah. in hospitals. So, so even though I enjoyed the nursing part, I, I got it out of my system. I worked for three years in different, you know, try, uh, through a registry so that I can pick and choose which shift, which hospital, which department. And being a male nurse, it's like, anytime I called, they had five jobs for me. Right? Mm-hmm. So I got to experience everything and I thought that was great. Got it on my system. Now I need to find out what I'm really here for. Mm-hmm. And that's, that became the conscious beginning of what am I here for? Right. Yeah. It's not just what kind of a job do I want? Mm-hmm. What kind of career do I want? No. What am I here for is that was the beginning of that. And when I asked that question of myself, I knew I was living in, let's see, where was I living? Oh, I was living in San Francisco by that point. And I knew I'm going to find my answer to that question in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in San Francisco is the answer. So what I started to do was I just start walking the streets of San Francisco every day. All day, I'd walk the streets and check, see what I got interested in. There'd be a door with a sign, and i go, oh, what's that? Knock or go in and find out what it's about. Go somewhere else, find out what that's about. Mm-hmm. After a few days of that, I realized, oh, it's everything that interested me had something to do with consciousness, spirituality, healing um yeah those were all the time every single one some aspect i'd walk into an acupuncturist's office i'd walk into a uh uh, consciousness studies program you know all these things mysticism so i thought okay and finally one day i'm walking down the street in downtown san francisco i'm walking in front of this uh used bookstore and there's this almost a throwaway books you know it's secondhand books 50 cents for any book and there's this glaring yellow and black awful looking book (laughs) that said develop your psychic powers Mm -hmm. and it has all those lightning type symbols (laughs) and hypnosis kind of symbols and and uh I wasn't even interested, but I picked it up and I skimmed through it. And what caught my attention was there was a couple pages on meditation, a couple pages on telekinesis, moving objects with your mind, which I always knew I could do. And uh, uh, I've only actually done it a tiny bit with certain setups, but um, that was when I was a kid. Yeah. And so, so then I thought, okay, I'll... 50 cents got it i read through the whole book tried out all its 
techniques and practices. And I had some hilarious experiences, but it, it was really cheesy, right? It's, yeah. And, uh, but again, much later, I realized that was a turning point because that was the first time I heard anybody address the term psychic. Yeah. It's so interesting how you yeah. know. You don't know when you're younger. You don't know necessarily what it is that you you want to do. You just know that you're drawn to something. Yes. And I feel you see that a lot. You'll see a musician and you'll see pictures of them as a kid holding things as microphones, like a broom. Or, exactly. And it's it's like you don't know, but you, your soul knows. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting also how aware you were at such a young age to say, I don't know, but I'm going to look for the signs, which I do all the time now, but it took me until I was in my 40s to start understanding the ways of the universe and saying, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to be a, stay aware and look out for those signs and symbols. But you just intuitively knew that. Yeah, it's I've always been like that. That's why I had difficulty when I start first teaching other people. I found that a lot of people aren't that way. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they ignore, because I didn't think of it in terms of looking for signs. Yeah. I just, I made my decision. I ask a question of myself, what do I do? And then next thing, things start to open up and yeah. I just follow. And I think one of the things that made it that way for me was I didn't question I wasn't afraid of, well, if I do this, what's going to happen? It might not be good. No, I, I do it first, ask questions later. <laughs> and that's the hardest thing to have, but it sounds like you had it just instinctively to go, it's okay, it's going to work out. And and what where does my curiosity lie? And that's such a great question. Yeah. Obviously, I know you've written a book about this, but so it's, but it's just, Gosh, if someone had told me that when I was 16, I know that you weren't 16 then, but they said, don't try to figure it out based on logic, just sort of what are you drawn to? And I still, mm -hmm. when younger kids come to me or talk to me about their life or what they want to do, I say, you don't, don't do the thing that you think you should do. That's what I did. I did the, oh, I guess I should work in some corporate office and I guess I should have health insurance and all that. But what was I drawn to? This stuff and acting. And it took me way too mm -hmm. long to start succeeding in, you know, both areas because I didn't trust that. And yeah. I'm going to be an actor. That's not stable. I want to be, you know, I'm, I want to be a medium. That doesn't, that's fantasy. But if I had just followed that from the beginning, I would have, this would have been 30 years happening 30 years earlier. However, as you said in the beginning, um, that was my soul's path. I needed to go through all those things yes. I didn't want to do and feel how miserable it was to work in an office and be an office assistant. And for me, and feel yep. so trapped and, and kind of go through the whole journey to get exactly. to now. Okay. Maybe it's, you know, middle, middle-aged at, you know, during middle age now, but no time. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm finding this is the happiest time of my life because I appreciate it 10 times more having lived the life of caging myself and not really understanding what my soul was the, the, the potential that I had as a exactly. human being. Um, yep. so I, I love that. I mean, everything you just said is so interesting. Yeah. And plus for you, you have to go through that because you're here to teach. Yep. You're here to communicate, counsel, guide, teach, mentor, 
other people. That's right. And and the the people who you're here to mentor are those having the same situation. Right. You know, they're they're stuck in a job that they don't like and because their parents or the school or the whatever training they had said this is what you know you can have and this is what you have to do make mm-hmm. money and then you know this 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 and especially now there's so many young people who are incredibly bright incredibly sensitive incredibly psychic but psychic's not in their dictionary right yeah it's like oh no no i go to college I make money, I get successful, you know, that's, and, and buy good things. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. They're just like indoctrinated into that. And they need somebody like you who's media savvy and is able to put together a show and says, okay, you guys, here's some other ways to look at things. Yeah. And it took me until way later in life to say, I, I have something to say, I have something to share, and I want to learn from other people. And why not just, I want to have, I don't have to, um, you know, I don't have to have an, uh, a big, I don't have to be with CAA in LA to, to get myself a, a show. I can make my own, I can make my own content. Exactly. Without the money. I mean, you know, for me, I want to do this because I love it and I'm passionate about it. And the, and as you know, you know, I'm sure, it's very true what they say, do what you love and the money will come because if you do something because you love it and because you want to be of service, you will succeed because mm-hmm. people want to be around that. People do want to work with people who are passionate and believe in what they do. And so, um, you know, they, they will pay you for your counsel or for your advice or your experience or for what you have to say because it's valuable because it comes from your heart. And if you go into something saying, I want to do this because it makes, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire doing this. It works. It, it, you know, it can work, but I think that's not the way to make money. It has to be no. about wanting to be of service to people, doing it with love and doing it with just excitement and passion, primarily because you just love doing it and you're excited to do it. Yeah. And then why would you love doing it? Because it's part of your purpose. It's fulfilling your purpose. So that's what I've always known Anytime we are taking steps toward fulfilling our real purpose here, everything works. That is money. It's not just money. It's, it's all resources, whether it's people, resources, financial resources, material, physical equipment, resources, whatever it is that you need to take that next step shows up one way or the other. Right. That's- it's only when we're going against our fulfilling our purpose mm-hmm. that it closed, the doors seem to close down. And it's not right. because the door's closing, because you're not facing the doors. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, um, and actually, I do just, I know it's, kind, like I said, it is jumping around a little bit, but because I know you have a lot of, um, you have a knowledge, you have a lot of knowledge about the soul's purpose and what's going on on the other side and clairvoyance, I would love to touch on, um, if you would share with us, can you tell us a little bit about your near-death experience and <laughs> how it, what, you know, what it taught you that you didn't already know or, or, what, or how it only enhanced and validated what you, are, you already knew from your spiritual study and existing in the world? 
Yeah, it's um, long before uh, I had my first near-death experience or any of my near-death experiences, I've experienced uh, out-of-body travels, out-of-body experience, out-of-body whatever, and spirit and certain levels of all beingness, whatever you want to call that, in a variety of ways. So that was, none of that was new. And so dying was easy. <laughs> the, the dying parts was, uh, that's what I tell everybody, it's so easy. But the coming back part, not so easy. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and not only coming back, but to actually be present here, mm-hmm. that took a lot of work. Yeah. What I learned from and continuing to learn from each one of my death experiences. Um, the first thing was when I first, again, the same thing of looking back, you learn so much more when I was going through it. Of course I learned a lot, but when I'm going through it, I'm having to deal with, upon return, I'm having to deal with the physical damages and, and body conditions and health and all of that. Uh, because the first one happened when I was having probably the most severe gout attack. Do you know what gout is? I do. It's, yeah. I do a bit. It's just crystals uh, yeah. that get into your joints and it, it I know about knee gout and that's about the extent of my knowledge but yeah yeah it's it starts in some joint like the toe joint or ankle or whatever like that I had it everywhere in this situation I had it in every possible joint oh, even wow. in the sutures of my skull wow I could even feel it in my ear in the you know it's uric stuff. acid is that what it is yeah yeah yeah. So, and it wasn't until much, much later that I found out it's that level is rare and it's called traveling gout because it goes all over the place. I've never heard of that. I'd heard of someone having gout in a, in a knee. Yeah. And having it in a knee or even just in a toe joint or something, excruciating. Oh. It's just, it's, it's, I, I told people, I said, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy Yeah. You know, or the worst uh, psycho or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it was nothing like any other kind of pain. It was just horrendous. So when this was going on and just went on and on, and there's at that point, there wasn't as much information about it as there are is now. So, you know, doctors really didn't know anything except these medications should help. But for me, it didn't. None of those yeah. medications, it made it worse. <laughs> and this is a, another thing about not just psychics, but spiritual, more uh, aware spiritual people. So many times you can have the same symptoms on a physical level as some disease and what it says in the textbook. Mm-hmm. But the what treatments and, and what helps heal yourself from it isn't anything like what it says in the the treatment manual. (laughs) And so, so that's when you start to have those kinds of experiences, you know, in, in one sense, you're on your own. Yeah. But if you're on your own, it really means it's you and God, Mm -hmm. it's you and the totality of spirit. 
And so then that's where you have to start to find the answers. But anyway, when I died the first time, it was at a point where this was going on and I was in bed, but I couldn't stand, I couldn't sit, I couldn't lie down. Nothing alleviated the pain. Raphael was on an errand to town for something and I was home by myself and I'm just curled up and I'm just going, I don't know how much longer I can last. Yeah. And so I finally said actually out loud, uh, I, I said, hey God, I really don't know how much more of this I can handle. Mm -hmm. The moment those words came out of my mouth, bam, I was out. Wow. And it was amazing. It was this huge, incredibly bright being came and took me. It wasn't the Grim Reaper. <laughs> it wasn't until afterward I came back, I realized, oh, that was Archangel Michael, what people call mm -hmm. Archangel Michael. And that being just escorted me right to this place. And it was as if he opened the door for me to enter into this beautiful conference room, like a boardroom, you know, on the higher end of things. And there were, uh, including him, five great beings sitting around on this, around this. Well, at first it wasn't they were sitting around, it was just light. It was just beingness, right? But I recognized that there's a group, small group. And it was like homecoming. It was just like this total respect, total welcome, total love. We're happy to have you back. And, and then immediately, then I, everything kind of becomes more tangible. Yeah. They, they start to show up in, in more bodily type form, appearance. And so I'm sitting, uh, here's the head table with this blonde Viking looking, you know, master. And then two uh, in front of me on the other side of the table. And then uh, this other master next to me here. And then Archangel Michael after that, next to that. So I'm surrounded and, I'm, and they all together as, as a unified voice, they're, they're saying, um, you're done. You've, you've accomplished far more than you've uh, contracted for, so to speak, agreed for, agreed on. And so you're done. If you want to stay here with us and continue your work from this side, uh, that's fine. If you'd like to go back to the body and continue your work that way, that's fine too. It's your choice. No holds barred, anything you like. <laughs> and it's really great because there, there's absolutely not even a thought of pain. In that space, the minute you leave the body consciousness, there's no such thing as pain, mm -hmm. right? So it's, I'm not, and when, when something doesn't really exist, you don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not something you think about. And so I'm sitting there in this total peace and feeling totally welcomed and totally like a celebration. And I'm thinking, okay, here or there, <laughs> do I go back or stay here? 
complete neutrality. It didn't matter one iota. I had no anything against or for. That was side. my question is how do you make a decision when there's nothing you have, when there's really nothing invested because it's all. In fact, that's the only way we can actually make a decision. A real decision has to come from total neutrality. You're not attached to anything. This is the one thing that so few people seem to know here on earth is all their decisions are biased. They're not from truth. A decision based on your truth is never biased. It's never, it's, it's always neutral, completely neutral, unattached. There's no investment one way or the other. And so then the decisions made entirely upon what would be of benefit yeah. to yourself, everybody else, whatever the whole situation's about. So at that point, I have no choice. I, I, doesn't matter. Yeah. And then I got this bright idea. Usually when I get a bright idea, it's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I pay for it later. But that time I got this bright idea and it was, wow, here I am with these five incredible beings of wisdom, knowledge, enlightenment. So I said, well, what do you guys think? <laughs> what would be of greater benefit is if I went back or if I stayed here to not just myself, but to everyone concerned. And they didn't even, there's not a moment of hesitation. The answer was instant, unanimous. If you go back, you will be of way more benefit to way more people. Yeah. Hands down. I said, okay. And I said, send me back. Of course, this is no pain, right? <laughs> I'm already thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm even thinking about myself. it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so they go, okay. And so Archangel Michael escorts me out of the room and we're starting to head back. The moment my attention is off of total spirit to body, I, re I remember, oh, I'm going back to that. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ended up here in the first place was because I couldn't handle that. So as I'm leaving, I'm going, okay, I'm going to need some help and yeah. healing <laughs> from this condition. So that I said, if I don't get help and, and heal from this condition, I'm not going to be good for anyone, including myself. And the last thing I hear is, is fine. <laughs> <laughs> they're very economical yeah and efficient with their some kind of angelic um you know sort of seminar or something and, and all of these <laughs> yeah fine you or you could do that fine <laughs> just got it so when i get back to the body the pain is still great but i'm so charged up i can handle it a lot better right and my perspective is so much clearer and so then a voice in my ear says, get up and go to the computer and look up uric acid, which is the stuff that crystallizes in the body. And I said, hey, I, can, I almost have a PhD in gautology because yeah. I've researched everything under the sun. It says, go just look it up on Google, right? So I Google search uric acid, which I've done a thousand times. 
and everything's the same that comes up. I've already looked at everything, read everything. But then I see something flashing on the commercial advertisement side, which I never look at, right? Yeah. I'm not interested. Something's, and then it says gout cure, <laughs> herbal, herbal gout. Right. I said, that's new. It's never been up before. Mm -hmm. It was a new company back when. And so I check it out. Oh my goodness. The founder of that company went through something similar to me. And he healed himself and formulated this little capsulized herbal formula. And then I looked up what the ingredients were and four out of the five ingredients were exactly what I intuited I needed. And I've been trying to get it in whatever form as much as possible, but it wasn't doing much good because it has to be formulated in the right way and mm -hmm. combination. So I said, okay, I'm gonna order that. But in the meantime, I need to really, this is, I, I'm not gonna be able to wait for five days to get this yeah. thing. And so it says, oh, if you have a question, email me, write to the founder. It's the company was so new, he, he was doing everything himself. So I wrote this long email or um, a text message, so to speak, to describe everything. 15 minutes later, he emailed me back and said, you're doing what? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to kill yourself. And, and I said, oh, I already did. <laughs> Been there, done that. And so the key point was, at that point, I was so desperate. I came up with one of, one of my brilliant ideas that didn't work out so well, was I'm going to fast. Because every little thing I put in my mouth made it worse. Right. And I thought, oh, I know how to fast. I, I could go on a water fast. That'll help cleanse everything. Well, yes, but what it did was I wasn't getting enough calories. Right. I was losing weight. And when you lose weight fast, your body discharges a ton of uric acid into the bloodstream. Well, that explains how you ended up in the boardroom. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So I got that handled and he taught me, you know, okay, do this, this, and that. And it's very specific. And uh, to the point where I knew I could eat almonds, almonds would be good. But if you eat it by themselves, they made it worse. Right. You had to eat it with uh, brown rice. And when you eat it together, the brown rice keeps the almonds from releasing the iron into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. The iron keeps the uric acid in the bloodstream instead of letting it up. It's one thing after another. And so I followed it to a T and over the next few days, I just got better and better. Oh. And then after that, I started to be able to get more answers. And, and, and then I found a doctor who was a, uh, holistic doctor and functional doctor and she worked with me on the nutritional supplements and all that so most of the time now i'm don't have to deal with that oh that's great that's great yeah and it's not to be careful but <laughs> right and and it and it really does sound like you had more to do in terms of i mean it feels like to me only having known you a very short time that you're sort of in your prime i mean you were you're saying <laughs> 
you know, it's been what, 68 years where you've done so many things, but it feels like you're just kind of really getting started, getting started <laughs> in some ways. It feels like you're really on a roll with, um, you know, I know you serve people in a lot of ways. So, and I would love to know, how do you describe, I mean, what would you say are the ways that you serve? Um, I know that you're described as um, a clairvoyant, a healer, um, and I know you share your knowledge via your podcast and your books. Um, what services do you offer to someone who wants to work with you? Well, uh, the main thing I do is teach. Mm -hmm. So uh, before COVID, <laughs> yeah. I would have in person, you know, physically go to some place and we set up probably about one weekend a month mm -hmm. somewhere in the world. I give a weekend. Yeah. So it's a two day seminar and uh, people can come to that. Um, then in between, I would have uh, teleclasses and yeah. teleseminars on the telephone. So I've been doing that for a long time. And um, I have those kinds of classes open to everyone, mm -hmm. uh, newcomers and everything. And I have a special uh, community of advanced uh, students who are all themselves teachers and directors of centers and clairvoyant professionals and everybody like that, mediums. And um, so that group, I teach a mastery course each year. That's great. And I was going to ask what type, I know that I've saw on your website, you have sort of different topics mm -hmm. as any teacher does. Um, but what are some of your uh, favorite, I don't know if it's favorite necessarily, but what are some of the topics that you uh, teach? Um, let's see. Oh, you'll like this. Or your uh, yeah, I guess that's the, the The next weekend, now the weekends are on Zoom and, and yeah. tele, teleconference. Uh, the next weekend that's coming up in February, like, couple of weeks is um, on mediumship. <laughs> and let me see, I can tell you the exact titles of the, it's uh, the overall weekend of four teleclasses and a Zoom um, uh, social Q&A mm -hmm. social afterwards is called Your Mediumship, Clairvoyance and the Global Awakening. Oh, wonderful. And then the the individual teleclasses are in that weekend are like it or not, you got mediumship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Managing mediumship, yours and others in the global transformation. Very are you, Yeah. Are you in or out? Your mediumship, clairvoyance, and the out-of-body experience. Uh, what's mediumship got to do with it? <laughs> Stole it a little bit from Tina Turner, but how mediumship affects your relationships and what to do about it. Uh, and then the final one of the weekend is on the path of the clairvoyant medium healer. How to have fun waking up the world and not get crucified. <laughs> so. that's a good one. Wow, that's really an excellent one. Yeah. That's so, that's so I love those names. They're so it's so clever, and and it also just really shows your fun personality that you don't take yourself too seriously. No, you're like let's all have fun doing this, and it's it's true. It is fun. It and, is. You know, it, it there it is meaningful, but it's so exciting, and that's why I call this channel Magic Is Real because mm. it's like ever since I really came into being aware that 
being a medium, for example, connecting with spirit isn't just something that certain special people are allowed to do because they were born that way. And, you know, God chose them and they're the, they're the chosen ones, which is what I always <laughs> thought. And I was watching their shows and devouring them and watched every single episode of the Long Island Medium and Tyler Henry and uh, Matt, well, and, and loved Matt Frazier and would look on YouTube. And, 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 you know, I just thought, oh, I just am so drawn to this and didn't realize it was something that you could learn. But ever since I actually learned that we all have this ability mm -hmm. and, you know, when you, when you start to see the symbols um, out there, the repeating numbers, the messages, when you're really tuned in to, it's like, it's like a playground of, excite mm -hmm. of excitement. I had a few weeks ago, several people died on this in the same week where I'd found out it was like two of my friends, my aunt, my, um, I mean, none of these, some of them were expected, but it was just sort of all happened at mm -hmm. one time. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a shock. It was just friend passed from ALS. My aunt died from COVID, but she had dementia. And then, um, and then a friend, a friend passed away of a long illness. And I was like, this sort of was an avalanche of, of passings all at once. So I said to my aunt, I said, all right, show, have my grandma show you how to do her light flickering trick, because she's, she promised that my grandma promised she would flicker the lights when she gets to the other side. And she's been <laughs> able to do it a couple of times, but it's, you know, it's not so much, but I said, show her how to do that. Uh, I said, Grandma, show Aunt June how to do this trick. And I'm just sitting, I walk out, I start eating dinner. They're here now, I actually feel them. They just came, they just- Yeah. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, um, I see something out of the corner of my eye and I look in the kitchen and I'm not talking a little flicker. This is all six lights on the ceiling flashing to the point where I almost didn't believe. I was like, <laughs> no, that's just a coincidence. That's too dramatic. And that- but I was like, but then why right after I asked, why did that happen? And all of a sudden one of the bulbs burned out and I thought, oh, that's all it was. Well, cut to the next day, the, the bulb's fine. None of the bulbs are burned out. <laughs> Nothing's happening, everything's normal and they haven't flickered since. But it's like, when you realize that things like that happen, they're real. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. We dismiss them. Oh, it's just an electrical thing. Well, or it's just my imagination, or it's just what I want to see. But it's like, why every night do I wake up and look at the clock and it's 12.22 every single time? Or why every morning, the minute I look at the clock, even if I don't look at it when I wake up, it's 9.11. Every time I'm putting something in the microwave, oh, 9.11. It's these things where now I know that's not just some random thing they're exactly spirits talking and it makes it so yeah. much fun to see what do they have to tell me today or what how can we optimize what we know to make ourselves better humans mm -hmm. to be of service to humans to sort of have fun in this difficult plane that is so you know fraught with oh yeah crisis and challenges and and violence and war and arguments and and, and con all this kind of conflict that happens but when you can see it all as it's all here. It's all right. Relax. It's here to teach you something. Exactly. And then and to be able to say, what is it teaching us? Yeah. It's exciting. Yep. It makes and that's, that's what mediumship is, is for, it's really for waking people up to themselves as spirit. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's, it's so involved in some ways over the course of lifetimes. And that's why the, the idea that, oh, you have a gift as a medium comes from, everybody has the gift, but 
it's like saying everybody can be a musician. Yeah. But if you're not interested, you're not going to be any musician. Right. I've been telling people that are like, oh, how are you doing this? Because they're like, that's so cool what you've been able to do. I said, oh, in the beginning of the year, I could, I wasn't able to do it to mediumship. Mm-hmm. And now because I do it every single day and I practice and I meet with someone exactly. weekly and I practice read and I said, you, you learn, it's like learning a language when you're a child. Mm-hmm. You start to learn the language of spirit through context. And that's why we do practice readings. I've had so many of my sitters say, well, I'm not ready to try yet. And I'm like, you're not going to be ready. You're going to sit with people and you're going to be wrong. And that's how you learn the language of spirit. When you start, the no's start to turn to yeses as you start to understand the language. And the fact is, I say the only thing you need is faith and practice. I mean, the, the, the knowledge and the belief that it can happen that's mm-hmm. the only thing it is. It's all it is really is faith and just knowing and believing and wanting to and having the interest. And that's, that's it. That's it. No and everything in spirit is exactly almost the opposite of everything here. Yeah. Here and intellectually people think, oh, I have to learn it first and then do it. Yes. That's how you learn it is you do it mm-hmm. and you keep on doing it. If you don't do it, you never learn it. Just like you said, it's it's uh, anything psychic, anything spiritual, it's practice. You have to do it or else you never learn. That's right. You have to be willing to fall on your face. And you have to, when I had a, I was friends with someone who is very successful writer, comic. Um, and now he's, you know, he's on a lot of TV shows and things. And I said to him, how did you get, I watched him do stand up, And I said, how did you get so good? He said, I got good by being really, really bad, <laughs> up there making such a fool of myself. And I was like, I'm not doing that ever. <laughs> but it, for some, because I wanted to do mediumship so badly, I was willing to fall on my face for the first few times and say, okay, I'm just totally wrong. I'm getting no's, I'm all wrong. And, but to keep showing up and having faith that it will get easier and you will learn it. Even though there was part of me that's like, really, could I really do this? But then when I just decided, I the only thing that changed, that the one thing that opened up my mediumship abilities was when my teacher said to me, I took a class with Monica the medium. I mentioned her because she's wonderful, a wonderful teacher. Um, all she said was, you have to know that you're just, you're doing it. When you're asking spirit to be there, they're there and you're doing it. And all you have to do is just, all you have to do is listen. You don't have to do anything. Suddenly it was like a, something switched. Mm-hmm. And my next four readings were like professional readings where I'm like, oh, it was just the self-doubt getting in the way. Yep. And she helped you go from faith to certainty. That's such a good way to put it. Yeah. They're very similar on one hand, but faith is centered in your four chakra and it's based on belief. Yeah. It's mental. Mm-hmm. whereas certainty is based on your crown chakra and it's based on intuitive knowing. You just have to know it. Right. It's a very different level of energy. And so with mediumship, when you're directly accessing spirit and spirit communication, spirit information, it has to be crown chakra because that's the center of your main center of your mediumship. Right. So simple and yet so complicated. (laughs) It seems so, well, Michael, this has been so wonderful. And I thank you so much for such an enlightening conversation, but also just for your 
fun energy and your sense of humor and your sharing your beautiful spirit with anyone who's watching with me, it really means the world. And I am going to be uh, posting links to all of your, to your, your website, your book, your podcast. I, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to read the book, but I can highly recommend the podcast. And um, Great. I also hope that we'll be working together soon. I'd really love to, I'm going to keep my eye on, um, I'm, I'm all about continue, continued learning. So um, I will be on that list and um, just really want to wish you all the best and look forward to hearing more about all the wonderful things that you accomplish and all the ways that you serve. Thank you so much. It's oh, been it's been wonderful having this time. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. <laughs>